What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Making the Shift. I was just commenting on how dark it is because of the time change. Yeah, and we have a bunch of clouds out today, which doesn't happen all too often, but we've had some flash floods, and that's a rare thing. I know. I got the alert on my phone today. I was like, what is this? That's so unusual. But the daylight savings is killing me. I think normally it affects the kids. This time it's me. I don't know what it is. Um, but if you're like my dad, you don't follow the daylight savings. That's right. Remember my dad, he calls his property Gary land and Gary land does not follow daylight savings. So I feel like he's made a really good move there. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) So November getting excited for Thanksgiving, although we have zero plans. So we have to figure out whose party we're going to crash. That's right. Got to get this thing dialed in soon. Yeah, but we're really excited. Today's topic came from a question that we get all the time. So we speak a lot to different organizations, schools, and whatnot about implementing neurodiversity affirming practices. And I feel like it really is just kind of like inevitable that there's always someone who raises their hand and ask this question, which in our last um, seminar, someone did. And I could just tell that it was, I feel like maybe she was like biting her tongue for the first 20 minutes because she was like dying to ask this question. And then finally she did, which was some version of this we hear a lot, which is this all sounds great. I'm all on board. I want to be a neurodiversity affirming but how I I won't be able to because my school or how the system is set up in my work setting, it just doesn't allow me to do that. Like, what am I supposed to do? We've got standardized assessments we need to do for our kids. So how can we possibly use those standardized assessments, but then still do neurodiversity affirming assessments? So I think we get some version of that question a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the thing, too, is the driving force of the question of how if how do we qualify students and how do we drive goals if we don't focus on deficits? And that pops up quite often, as Jesse said. So we'll kind of uh, go through some of the ideas and concepts and ways to help frame it so we can help out as best possible in evaluations. Yeah. And I think those are almost like two different things, like assessing our kids for funding reasons versus assessing our kids to develop goals, right? And we know that standardized assessments often don't truly reflect a child's true abilities. 
So let's start off. And if you guys are here live, put in the chat what your work setting is so that we know we know that affects your funding sources as well. But why don't we start off with kind of like, what is the big problem with giving autistic kids these standardized assessments? Or you could say, what are things that you should be taking into consideration, at least when you are using them or when you have to use them? Yeah, absolutely. So what um, Jesse and I decided to do was go through just some of the things, especially on my end, I work in the schools. So um, schools and private practice and hospital settings are, are separate entities. And so um, there's just different approaches within the school system. There are certain regulations and laws that the that special ed law has to, to abide by. The big one was created back in 1990 called IDEA. So that for those of you working in the schools, you might be familiar with that. It stands for Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. So that is what our assessments, our reports, our guidelines and everything usually falls under that umbrella because um, it's part of the law. Now within IDEA law, it states specifically here that when doing assessments or doing evaluation procedures, they must be provided and administered in the form most likely to yield accurate information on what the child knows and can do academically, developmentally, and fundamentally. Well, so that's, that's the question. Funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny that that our answer to that is standardized tests, you know? Right. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny because if we're trying to find out how the child is doing functionally, but yet we are comparing them and using standardized tests, it doesn't really seem like they go hand in hand. However, it is um, something that we'll talk about when, when to use standardized assessments. But I wanted to share that because when it comes to that last piece there too, I think it's so important because according to the law, when we say functional, this is really important because functional means non-academic and it encompasses the activities of everyday life. So we're trying to look, okay, this child right now, how are they functioning within a variety of settings, within a variety of classrooms, and how can we best help? So we've already kind of set it up through the law, um, IDA law and having standardized assessments, not really going hand in hand um, all too much on that. So I'm gonna reflect back on that. So the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to standardized tests is something that Jesse recently shared on her Instagram, which are the norms. So did you want to talk a little bit about the norms? That's and then your thing. Okay, fine. I will. But I, I did learn this from you to give you credit there. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, one of the biggest issues with giving autistic kids standardized tests is that these standardized tests are not normed on autistic students. So essentially what we're doing is we're comparing the results from non-autistic students to the results of autistic students. Right. So, and that idea right there is ubiquitous between schools and private practices, medical outpatient, when we have our assessments, right? Because the assessments are created with a set of norms, but they're based on um, neurotypical norms. Now, the thing that we need to consider, I shouldn't say the problem, but we can consider when we have norms and we have two separate neurotypes, what is it 
that we're trying to drive or push. Because in the report, if we're comparing on these norms, is that going to be the driving factor of what pushes our goals? That's what we really have to consider. Because sure, we can sit in these meetings and say, hey, look, this is where um, this child's you know standardized scores fell. And you'll see some peaks, peaks and dips because of that. But really the reality is our what are we going to use those scores for? Because if we're using those scores to create our present levels, if we're using those scores to drive our goals, whether it's private practice or the school setting, then we also have to consider, are we now giving goals to teach the kids to mask, to teach them to be somebody where they're not? Are we invalidating who they are? Yeah. And That's the big part. It makes me think about, you know, a lot of the pragmatics, for example, pieces of assessments are looking at the pragmatics of neurotypical people, right? So they're like, did he, is he making eye contact? Is he engaging in back and forth conversation or all of these things like that? So it's like, we're looking at autistic kids who have different communication styles, and then we're marking it nope, didn't get that one, didn't get that one. And then that just leads to us writing these goals of teaching them to mask essentially or hiding their autistic communication style and trying to use a neurotypical communication style. Right, which eventually in the long run leads to PTSD, mental health issues, a lot of a loss of identity. And um, those are definitely things to consider. So that first point that standardized scores are not normed on autistic students is a really valid one to consider while, while doing this as Jesse and I shared, because yeah, that's going to be the driving factor of the goal. Sometimes that's really how we would approach these in meetings. The, yeah. And then someone made a comment too, that the pragmatic profiles that are out there um, have a lot of mostly ableist language. So when you're observing a student, the things that we're checking off are, comparing them to their neurotypical peers. And it's just very ableist la language. As Jesse said, they didn't make eye contact. Their body wasn't facing the group. They're you know, things like that um, to consider. Okay, number two. The second thing to consider is that they don't account for differences in our students. So some of our students have sensory differences, some of, you know, different neurotypes. Some of them would prefer to communicate, not verbally, maybe it's writing it down, maybe it's using an AAC device, but these standardized assessments don't consider a variety of differences um, within our makeup. And so um, that is uh, the second thing to consider. That's a good one. Yeah, because that would be a driving force too on, on at least knowing these things when we are deciding on standardized assessments. Okay, I like this. This one's a big one for me. And I would imagine it would be a big one in private practice as well for all age groups. But number three is that, okay, we know the research. We know the data that um, many of our students are visual learners. And a lot of these tests, a lot of the subtests we use, not all, but many of them don't consider the learning differences, right? The kids are put into a situation. They're asked to you know, work on synonyms, antonyms, idioms, figurative language, non-literal language, like all sorts of things. And every time I sit down with these kids, they're like, hey, 
or I should say students, because I work with high school students, they say, hey, uh, Mr. Winger, is there a way like you can show me a picture? Or can you can you hand that to me? And I'm like, no, I'm not allowed to do that. You're going to have to sit there and process this with no visuals. So there's nothing really there. And that isn't really going to give us the most accurate assessments when we aren't considering the type of learner they are, right? It's one of those things where if I'm taking that test, give me some visuals as well as reading it to me, I will I will shine. And so um, that's number three to consider when it comes to standardized assessments. You know, what's interesting is that in the schools on the present levels page, there's one small paragraph that says that where we put in information, what are the student's strengths and how does this child learn best? And more times than not, it'll say this child is a visual learner. They do mm -hmm. best when the teacher prints out notes with visuals. It's like, well, if we know that, then why are we assessing them with no visuals? <laughs> See, it's basically we're setting them up to fail. So we can sit in these meetings and say, sorry, your child performed in the far below average range. The reality is we don't really give them a fair opportunity in some of these tests. So that's three biggies right there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. For like ones. all of our students. I mean, it's hard because I get it. Like I, I, I get why they do it that way, you know, because they're they don't want to know how they do with visual support. I get that. So like I get that. But I also it's so unfair. And I think the bigger problem here is that why are we giving the ass assessments? Is it to qualify them or is it to write goals for them? Because to me, those are very different things. And in the past, we've all been trained for that to be one thing. Right. It's whatever deficits are on this assessment turns into their goal. But now we know that that's really not enough. No, and you're right about that too on those tests when they don't, they want to see where they're at without them. But then, then what ends up happening is that we're not getting a true score of what we're trying to measure. Because if they have maybe a little bit more requirements for processing time, or they do so much better with visuals, we're not going to get a clear picture of the test that we're using. And so that becomes the problem. Right. You know, oh, the other thing to consider too. So here would be number four. Another thing to consider would be that when we use standardized assessments, we're not really getting input or feedback or data or anything of what we would typically see the child doing in the class right? It's never reflective of their classroom skills. It's usually some subtests that are pulled out that aren't reflective of that. Those are just some things to consider um, while, while doing it. And then the last one, number five, um, is a big one for me. Actually, I did a, a webinar on, on this um, particular thing, and I've done some <laughs> social media videos. It's when a student or client or child is having to go for the first time, or I shouldn't even say the first time, but when they go to testing, they know they're testing. They know they're being tested. We don't like when we are being tested. It increases anxiety. That's how it was when I was younger. That's what these kids know that they're being tested. So you've got a variety of factors to consider. Some days they might be feeling really up for it. And other days they might be feeling really tired. Many of our students lose a lot of sleep for a variety of reasons. So did they get a full night's sleep or not? Um, did they eat in the morning? Are they better test takers in the beginning of the week than the end of the week? Are they better taste take test takers at the beginning of the day? Or are they better taste test takers after PE? I mean, you've got so many things to consider. Some of these students 
have to take tests that aren't even at their campus with someone that they don't know. Sometimes they will have to go do individualized education evaluations with someone they've never met. So, um, so we've got five big things to consider when it comes to standardized testment that are really going to be reflective of the results. Because if you take those five things that we just covered and then you get the results from that, do you really think you're going to get accurate results? Because if we're driving deficits, what ends up happening, as we talked about, is the deficits-based data that's collected ends up driving faulty goals. Faulty goals lead to increase of anxiety, a loss of identity, and outcomes that just um, don't don't get us where we need to be with our students. And thank you for coming to Chris's TED Talk. And that's my TED Talk for today. <laughs> no, but I think that we get the question a lot, which is, okay, but I still need to qualify my kids. And like, I wish we had like a magic wand where we said, no, you don't. You can just never use standardized tests, although you've got some tricks up your sleeve. But, you know, we're not saying forget your standardized tests. I mean, yeah, it would be great if they could make some new ones normed on autistic students, right? But we understand that there is a need for standardized tests a lot of the times in getting kids funding and getting them to qualify for services. I think it's just one of those things where at least here in our clinic, yes, we will still do the standardized test because we need to for insurance, but then we also have several other informal assessments that we're gonna do. And those are truly what is going to drive our goals. So yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, what's your little trick that a lot of people don't know about? A holistic view of the student that we're working with. So um, this was my driving force. I created something called the dynamic assessment of social emotional learning. There's four components to it, but this is what we want to get input from um, what's really going on in real time. So it uses a digital form that can go to any of the teachers so the teachers can give feedback based on neurodiversity affirming input, right? So things such as perspective taking is the child um, asking for accommodations in the class, which is always a big one. When, when I reach out with the teachers, that always seems to be something where um, the input back from them is that when I ask has the child, has this student mentioned anything about accommodations and the teachers will usually say no. And that lets me know, okay, this might be a goal. Educate the student on their differences, on their characteristics, educate them on what accommodations can help meet their challenges. And then over time, build the confidence and build the self-esteem because that's going to drive the self-advocacy. And so yeah, I always uh, love getting real-time data from what's going on in the class. Yeah. Finding out, hey, when you have small groups, does this student um, need additional support from the teacher? Or what does that look like? Are they connecting with the classroom peers? Like, what's going on? Do they seem like their sensory needs are getting um, to be a bit overwhelmed? And do they ever ask for a sensory break if needed? Are they allowed to use fidgets in the class? Where do they sit? I mean, there's just so much information that's provided on that form. And maybe you can share what a lot of people don't know about how often they need to be using standardized tests. Oh, so yeah. Um, so I think that's a big game changer well, for a lot of at least school therapists. 
Well, yeah. So as Jesse mentioned, standardized tests we can use when determining eligibility. So if there was an initial referral, then yes, you have to use standardized assessments. If you're going to qualify a student also every three years, usually I think it's across the United States every three years. Um, some States will call it a triennial review, which means every, every three years you do an assessment. Um, some States like California have changed that to eligibility review. The reason is, is because we're trying to determine um, if the student is still eligible are there a change of placement or, or services? So for me, every three years, I work with the high school students. If I'm not dismissing the student and we're going to continue with speech, I'll call the parent because you don't have to do standardized assessments. But I'll let the parent know because the parent can decide if they want to. And then I'll give them some information on the things that I shared earlier in this episode about why it might not be giving us the, the best information and what the alternative is. So. And what's it called, the alternative to doing the standardized assessment? The DASL. No, the case review or something. Oh, eligibility review. Eligibility review. So I'm review. saying if they wanted to go to the parents and say, hey, let's skip the standardized testing this time around. Here's why. And instead, I want to do an eligibility review. Yeah, you know what? I don't know if it, how, again, it might look different amongst the states, but on the assessment plan, I would double check that because in California, for the most part, on the assessment plan, it says that we're doing an eligibility review that might, that will more than likely consist of a variety of records, reviewing records, um, anecdotal records and input from teachers. But it'll also say unless requested by the parent, well, we're not going to do um, formalized assessments right now. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that. You know, yeah, it's fairly new. To. It's been post-pandemic, so a lot of things have changed. I mean, historically, it was like, hey, every three years, you have to use two standardized assessments. This is what's going to hold up in court. The reality is in court, if it ever goes to that point, you want to have the information that we just provided at the beginning of this episode so you can back yourself on why you're doing what you're doing to get the best and accurate, most accurate results so we can truly help the students. That's what it's all about. The judge is there to listen to um, who is supporting the child's needs, right? Like who's, who's, are, are you, that's what I should say, are you supporting um, the child's needs? And so if you can share some of these things, I put all this stuff in my report, by the way. Um, so that way it's clear. That yeah. was a lot of information that we just gave, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll say in our private practice, yes, we still have to do standardized assessments for our kids for insurance. At least one thing that we do whenever we can for the birth to three population is we always would use a parent questionnaire. So like we use the real, for example, um, as opposed to using, I won't name drop tests, but as opposed to using other tests that actually require the child to sit and like point and follow directions and do all of that. Because Instead, I could be asking the parents about, you know, if we're looking at comprehension, it's, is your child following two-step directions? It's, it's not really, does your child follow the direction? It's, do they understand the direction? And that is so much of what we see with our young autistic kids is like, the parents are like, oh, he knows. Like when I say no, stop, he knows, but does he stop? Not always, which we hear a lot for any toddler, but we really tried to use as much parent feedback as possible 
And we just try to like rip off the bandaid as far as standardized assessments, because we know that we have to do them. But then we always follow up with doing other assessments. I mean, you guys know with my background in sensory, we do sensory assessments for all of our autistic kids here. We make sure to, you know, we send those results home as well. We, if they're a Gestalt language processor, we'll go deep dive into assessing their language skills. And of course, thanks to Chris, we are using the DASL in here too, which I will say has been a game changer for us because I think it's just at least my experience. And it's so funny because like he always tells me when he's working on these projects, obviously, and I just never know what to expect and not to give you a big head, but I am always like, where did this idea come from? I'm always like so amazed that he even had the idea to have this assessment. And it's one of those things where I'll sit down because there's a portion of his assessment where it's a where it's a self-assessment for the student. And I'll sit down with these students, like five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids, and be asking them all these questions that I would have just never asked them about before. You know, things about like what they're looking for in a friend and um how they deal with their emotions and like all it just opens the door to so many conversations we otherwise wouldn't have had and i think the other thing that's great is that it takes into consideration like chris said you know the teacher's perspective as well and the parents you have forms you send home right to. yeah um so that's been a game changer for us yeah, I can't stress to you enough um, how important that is to ask the students the right questions, right? Because the students will be more intrinsically motivated if they have a little bit of say or if they have say in their ther the therapy process, right? If they're telling you, hey, you know what? I just would like to connect with maybe one other student. Well, then boom, I will help you do that. I will help set up an interest group. And what we'll do is we'll um, we'll have some fun. We'll play the Nintendo Wii and we'll also work on self-advocacy and self-regulation. Um, you know, we'll talk about working on um, setting up accommodations so I can let your teachers know. Um, we do a variety of things, but all of that comes off that student form from the DASL. And, yeah, someone yeah. wrote in the chat, the DASL focuses on what's important to the student rather than what everyone else thinks about them. Love it. Awesome. Absolutely. And the parent form, just to, to go back to that too is a huge piece because it's not asking what the parents might typically get from a form sent to them with a whole bunch of ableist language, right? It's not like a, a long checklist of does your, does your child engage in repetitive behaviors and, you know, line up toys and make eye contact or not. And just a lot of this ableist stuff, it, it really drives home on, working towards autonomy and working towards self-determination. So, you know, it'll ask them, you know, things that um, if they do speak to mom and dad when there's, when times are tough, how does their self-regulation look? How does their ability to perspective take from others look just so we're getting information so we can set up um, goals that will really help them. Honestly, my driving force is that will really help them with three things. When they graduate, my goal for them and the, for my students in the future is always that I, I want them to have be autonomous as much as possible, right? And have some independence. But I also want them to be connected with somebody. 
that they feel like, hey, you know what? I have somebody that I can connect with. And the last one is ha being happy. Like whatever it is that I do with my goals and my report, I want the end goal for them to be happy. That's a big one for me. You know, that's the parents, biggest one for me. Yeah. And, and the parents want parents the same too. thing. And the kids want that. The, the, these students that I work with and the, and the clients that Jesse works with, these kids that we work with, that's what the, the end all be all result is. How can we take our areas of strengths how could we focus on the challenges that we have and how can we create a, a situation where we're making those challenges less challenging so we can live a happy, peaceful life filled with serenity and joy. That was beautiful. <laughs> That's it. So right? yeah, if you guys want to check out his assessment, it's called the dasselspeechdude.com. I am your best promo. Give me one of those sandwich boards right now. Right. I know you need one. <laughs> um, but if you do want to check it out, speechdude.com. But I think what we're really ultimately saying is there are so many other considerations to think about when you're doing these assessments and that standardized portion of that test is just one tiny piece of the assessment process. And there are so many other ways that we can informally assess our kids to get the data that we actually need to write the goals that are actually going to support them in neurodiversity affirming ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So to kind of do a quick recap on, well, if we're not doing standardized assessments, what, what are we looking at targeting a lot? Most, much of it's in the DASL, but we're looking at self-advocacy. We're looking at perspective taking skills. We're looking at co-regulation, co-problem solving. We're looking at self-regulation, emotional regulation. We're looking at um, a, a lot of things that the standardized test just did not hit. And we will do a follow-up show on goals and writing goals in a neurodiversity affirming way, because that is another one of the big questions we get. So we will definitely bring that to you guys soon. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, it, um, we're, we'll talk a little bit about the which goals lead to masking and which goals lead to autonomy and, 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 and happiness. So we'll cover that in an upcoming episode. Thank you so much for chiming in. We really appreciate it. Until next time. Goodbye. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.